the first thing I wanted to say is that you are God's promise. Uh, say it, I am God's promise. You are his promised land and you're purchased, fully purchased. The, the, everything on his mind is you. You are the promise. And, and we shouldn't think about ourselves or about anyone else any thoughts that God doesn't think about us. And he thinks so much of us that we're his promise and he gave it all. That's a good word, and that's a word to encourage all of us, and, and I think, um, think Miss Peggy just hit it. It's just perfect. So I, I just want to encourage you. Anyone ever heard of uh, Roger Bannister? Yeah, there you go. We got one person, because it was like 1954 when he made his mark, so. <laughs> you know, I, I'm always amazed. Roger Bannister in 1954 broke the four-minute mile. And um, yeah, prior to that, you know, for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, they were trying to crack that benchmark, that four minute mile. In fact, it was a real popular belief that the human body could not even endure that, that it would actually break down. And they had measurements of time that were very accurate. Christian Huygen um, invented the pendulum clock in the 1600s, early 1900s, we invented the quartz. So we knew how to measure time very accurately and still no one could break that four minute mile. And, 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 for, and if you think about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and the belief globally that it can't be done and that the human body would, would actually give out and possibly die. Um, it's a remarkable feat. What happened though, as soon as, I guess he didn't get the news break, Roger must not have heard the news, and he broke the four minute mile, and, and then all of a sudden, 1,400 other people broke the mile. And it's the benchmark today for runners. You know, there was a time when no one believed that there would be horseless carriages or, or airplanes or that the world was round. And, and I say that because um, I, first I want to let you know that the only requirement, the only thing that God wants out of us is us to believe. He said he so loved the world that all that believe. And, and I just want to encourage you tonight that we don't have to know it all. We don't have to um, be special in any way. All we have to do is believe. And, and with that, I want to go into what do you believe and, and where are your beliefs? Because I read the Bible sometimes, and, and I'm not sure that I believe everything all the time. And so God encourages me always and presses me forward and says, I don't need you to understand all this. I need you to believe. Yeah. Right? I want to understand everything. I want it laid out. Lanier, I want, you know, A to Z. I want the left half. The beginning and the end, the timeline, show it to me. I want YouTube, instructionals, and everything else. And if it doesn't make sense, I'm that guy that just does not try and make sense out of nonsense. I stick and move, and I don't believe. And I just want you to know that belief is the key, and God wants us all to believe. And so I want to encourage you, even in those areas that are difficult sometimes, that we struggle with when we read some of the promises, and you are his promise and promised land. I want you to believe that, because it's true. Yeah. 
Last week, we touched on the kingdom, right? We, we said, see, enter, inherit. Unless you're born of above, you can't even see the kingdom. Unless you're born of water, the word, and the spirit, you can't enter. And flesh and blood cannot inherit. Only the overcomer, the son, can inherit the kingdom. And we saw how John in Revelation in the first chapter gave us the picture of repentance. He was looking this way and he heard something behind him. He turned and saw God's and heard his voice and went there. And so repentance always is about tuning in to God, what he says and what he sees. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. He lived a life of repentance, hearing and seeing only what the Father. And I say that because oftentimes I forget that I'm his promise, that I'm his promised land, and then he purchased me, he gave it all for me. Sometimes I forget, and I don't believe. Sometimes I just don't believe it. I don't believe I'm worthy and deserving, and tonight I just want you to know if you'll just believe, if you'll just believe. It'll gain a lot of ground for us. I want to hear the, look at this first scripture, and I want to, want to challenge you tonight on your belief, if that's all right. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, I've, I've, I've listened to this scripture for years. I've read it, and I thought the promises in this book and some of the things in this book just didn't compel me to feel like I wanted to sell everything I had and go digging in a field. It didn't feel that good to me. The message, for whatever reason, I couldn't believe made it feel like this. This scripture is telling us you need to get rid of everything. Clear your plate, cancel everything, and go into this field where this, where this treasure is and do nothing but consume yourself with that. It's better than the Powerball or anything you could possibly think of. This is such good promises that God has for you. The message of the gospel is such good news that you should clear your slate, get rid of everything, and do this. Does anyone feel like the good news has been that to them? And I'm, I'm just being honest because there's times when I haven't felt like clearing my plate, selling anything, and digging in. So I could say, well, you know, shame on me. You know, I should change. Yeah, sometimes I do. I, I want to tell you today the message, what God has done by opening my eyes and ears, has revealed this word in such a way I cannot get enough. Listen, I want to clear my plate and sell everything and dig all day. I want till my knuckles are to the bone. Dig for God's mysteries, his promises, and his gospel. That's all I want in life. I'm so excited about what this says from the beginning to the end that I can't contain it. I can't stand myself. Yeah. Right? Listen, I, I drive everyone crazy in parking lots, at work, and everywhere else, because nothing means more to me. I'm so excited that I want to tell everyone about it because everything's been revealed. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. 
and I'm seeing into things today that I never dreamed possible, and I'm believing that it's possible, and I'm excited, and I want to cancel everything, sell it all, and jump in that field. And I want you that way. I want everyone to feel that. But it only happens if what we're reading and what we're seeing, the Spirit opens our eyes and ears. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, he said that the Spirit of wisdom and revelation that would open us and that we would be taught of the Father, the great mysteries of the promise that he has for us all, that we would be so excited we wouldn't be able to hold back. Paul said, you know, I've had it all, and I've had nothing, and it's all rubbish. And with that came a great cost in human terms. A lot of people left. A lot of people were persecuted. A lot of people thought, you know, these guys are crazy. With that belief that possibly this could be true, a lot of people were highly offended, persecuted, hated, so what were they believing? What's the Bible say? What's the scripture open up to us? You know, on a fundamental level, you know, we need to ask ourselves these things because we talk about words like salvation. What am I getting saved from and where am I getting saved to? Right? And, and, and so I want to touch on that. And I'm going to finish in Revelation with, I think, something powerful that was revealed by the Spirit that I think you're all going to enjoy. But before that, I want you to believe with me some just some absurdly crazy, beautiful, wonderful thoughts. Is that all right? I want you to believe with me. Uh, don't believe me, but I want you to believe with the Scripture the possibility of this actually being true. Okay, And there's those that say it can't be true because your body can't take it and you'll die and no one will ever break that mark. But I want you to just believe beyond that right now, beyond where you understand, beyond reason. I want you to step off into faith and just believe because it says that. And I think you're going to get just excited. Yes, you may be forced to look at some things. But I think you're going to get just excited and want to clear your slate, sell everything, and jump in the field with me yeah. and dig around for the treasure. Go to the next scripture. But we do not see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. Say taste death for everyone. Stop there for just, for, does that mean you? Are you everyone? So he's going to, he, so this is saying he, that Jesus is going to taste death for everyone. And just let that sink in for a minute and I'm going to let you go home with that and marinate. Um, I just want you to stew over that. Taste death for everyone. If you believe you're everyone, then the scripture is actually revealing something to you right now. Go ahead to 10. For it was fitting for him whom all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through the suffering. 
So I go back to the scroll, and we're going to touch on that. And we see that there was, there was the scroll that was sealed, and the outside was revealed to us. We look at the whole Old Testament, and we see the writing of the story of the suffering of our Lord. And we've fellowshiped in that suffering by understanding in that revealed story has been laid out for thousands of years. We see through the whole Old Testament the revelation of the suffering of our Lord. And it's talked about that those words in Revelation are written on the outside of the scroll, but they're seals and something on the inside. There's always two parts because we know there's a suffering that had to happen, but there's also a glory that has to happen. See, you are baptized and sealed into his death only to be unsealed into his new creation and resurrection. He said, unless you become like a seed and go into the ground and die, and that's a perfect, that's a perfect analogy, is what's happening is the suffering and the story itself goes into the ground, and what's in that DNA, the very nature of new creation, nothing that you even know can be like, is unsealed and brought forth. Okay, so that 50-foot oak tree coming out of the acorn, no one ever knew that it would be 50 feet high and look so beautiful because it was sealed. And so Jesus says, like that seed, this is how this is. So the unsealing reveals the glory and the manifest glory, the, the, the expressed image, the predestined image that you and I have to be the nature of God in new creation. Do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Marinate on that for a minute too. Do you mind if we just marinate on some things a little bit up here? Because he wants to taste, he said he tasted death for everyone. And, and, and we know Paul says that, that I died with him, I was crucified with him. That my life was hidden in his. Go, go to the next scripture. Hebrews, no, Matthew, what did we do? Just, we just did Hebrews. John, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. A division occurred among, again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's insane. People are going to tell you when you believe certain things that you're insane. You have a demon. You can't break that four-minute mile. You'll never fly an airplane. This is ridiculous. The world's flat. Everyone knows that. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? It's interesting that he used the reference to eyes and seeing and all of the references we always have in the gospel to vision and sight and seeing. <clears throat> What's interesting here also is that Jesus was not honoring death and chasing death to access life. See, long before he decided to lay his life down, he knew he could pick it up. He said, you can't kill me unless I do that. See, he chased life to have victory over death. 
It was not the other way around. He didn't die to live. A lot of us, myself included, thought for a long time, at some level I have to honor death and die to access life. Not so in the kingdom, not so with Jesus, not so biblically. In fact, the biblical model that we're going to look at and we're going to see always says it's through life that death is dealt with. See, and if you get to a place where you can say, you can shoot me, that's fine, because I'm going to pick my life up again. Now you're in new creation, and you're hosting the kingdom as Jesus did. Now you have entered and overcome, and that's where we hope to be one day. Right now, we may be all together seeing, we hear, we're repenting the trumpet, the sound of our Lord. We hear it, we possibly see, some are entering in, but the inheritance comes when we know that we could take it up again. Death has been swallowed up now. It's not even in the nature paradigm. Go ahead. Uh, where are we at? Is that all right? John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So if you believe in him, even if you die, you're going to live. That's good news, right? That's good news? Yeah. All right. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Uh, there's another one. Taste death for everyone. Let's marinate on this. Okay, so if you believe in me and die, you're going to live. That's good news. But it, it, he kind of flips the script on everyone right here. And he, and he throws a little mind blower. And he says, hey, but if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Yeah. I know this four-minute mile, man, it's tough, and we're thinking we're going to break. We can't do it. He says, hey, can you believe this? Can you just go there with me on this? I don't need you to understand, but believe me when I tell you, I have no clue how this last trumpet, twinkling of an eye, transformation, all that. I'm journeying with you on this. I'm just submitting to you the Bible and the revelation I'm receiving and asking you to journey with me, to take a look at this literally, because I found nowhere in the Bible, I've got front to back ever where it talks about a spiritual death. In fact, when it talks about death, it usually references Hades, and we're going to see that, and that's a direct reference to the grave, bringing it to a natural, physical death. We don't need graves for spiritual death. So what are they talking about? Go to the next scripture. 2 Timothy 1.10, but now it's been revealed... Now is what? Been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So when we think about the gospel, we know that he abolished death, and we like to hear that, and we say things all the time that the last enemy was conquered, and it was. He abolished death. It was swallowed up in life. But then we kind of bypass this immortality thing. And here's another part of the scripture. I just want to ask you, because you're going to see incorruptibility, imperishable, and, in, and immortality throughout the scripture, up and down, sideways. Everywhere you look, you're going to see writings referencing not only the incorruptibility, the immortality, and the imperishable. 
the transformation you're going to see into that. And again, those are those things, that four-minute mile, where I just want to ask you, can you believe? Just like Jesus asked, uh, was it Martha? Go to the next scripture. 1 Corinthians. I have five minutes. 1554. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death. See, life is victory, and victory rides to conquer. It's not death that's conquered. It's victory that swallows up. It's victory in Christ. It's victory for all of us, the position we're in, that absorbs and swallows up by the very nature of who we are, death. And it's immortality. Okay, 2 Corinthians, then we're going to just finish with Revelation. You give me that two minutes? For indeed, while we are in this tent, and he's speaking of our body, we're going to see that our bodies are referenced oftentimes as a tent, as a city, as a vessel, as a, as a, uh, 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 as a nation. We'll see it in Revelations. Um, we see the physical body. The kingdom is now in you. We see his purchase price, his promised land is you, are you. You're his favorite. He did everything for you, and you are his domain. And we're going to see throughout Scripture references that I'm a tent or a house or a nation. Or we're going to see throughout Scripture the reference that correlates to who you are and what you are. Right? And so... We're in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Paul said, it's not that I want to unclothe, but to be further clothed. I want to take what's given to me, this mortality, and clothe it in the manifest glory of God. I want to be further clothed. Can you believe that? All right, go to Revelations. I'm gonna, I'll finish with this. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, now we see in the Revelations, and, and, and I break it into parts for us because we see the seven letters first, then we see the seven seals, which are going to un, undo the scroll, peel back the mystery of the manifest glory of God, the revealing of Christ. And then we go into the trumpets. So the seals become the revelation of the Christ in you. Then the trumpets come, and the trumpets become the initiation of that manifest glory. This is the maturation process Paul talked about. He said, listen, you're an heir to everything. You just don't know it. You're acting like a kid, and you're getting treated like a kid. He said in Corinthians about love, right in the middle of it, man, if you'd stopped acting like a kid, put those childish things away. Perfected love could have its work. But I need you to grow up from a child to a son to inherit these things. And it's a process like unpeeling an onion. We get the revelation, then we go into initiation, and then it's consummation. And that's where we get into the bowls and the plagues. And we see only one city coming out. Talked about two, and we're going to get into the two cities. This is fascinating. But I want you to know that this is the lamb 
When John turned to see, it was, it was the lion. And then when the speaking happened, it was the lamb. Did I read that? Go back there. Do you mind? He broke the fourth seal. I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, come. There's some kind of uh, translation issues that, I, uh, that I've spent a lot of time because I was a little confused about, and I want to share with you um, just a lot of research because I wasn't receiving what I felt needed to be received, and so I challenged myself to dig into some things, to jump into the field, to clear my slate, to get rid of it all, jump in the field for, for the treasure that's there. And so I want to I want to say in a I looked and behold an ashen horse. Here we go. The word ashen. Um, it's actually the Greek word chloris. Chloris. And when you have a hard time with words and translations because it was making no sense because we went from the white horse with the arrow illuminating the earth us with the word of God brightening, shining, and riding through us with his illuminating glory, shooting darts of truth throughout us. And then we went to the purifying red horse that was taking that word and everything that was happening with the first horse in our body, in our kingdom, in our consciousness, to purge out all carnality of mankind. Everything carnal was going to be purified by that fire of God. And so then we looked at the third horse and we saw the wheat and, and we saw the barley and, and the wine and the oil. And then we go to the fourth horse and the ashen horse just threw me for a loop. And so I looked and in every translation, it's chloros. And it's only mentioned four times in the Bible. Jesus mentions it one time in Mark and he says, listen, I need all of you to gather in groups and sit on the chloros grass. And then it's mentioned again, and it says, listen, a third of the earth, all of the trees and all of the grass that are chlorous will be burned up. And then he says that there was a rainbow that shone behind the king that was chlorous like an emerald. So what do you think ashen means? Cream. So green biblically depicts abundant life. This is what green means in the Bible. It always is a reference to the richness and abundance of life. So we see here that on an ashen horse, he who sat on it was named death. So we see Jesus made a comment. He said, listen, I came to bring you life and life in abundance. That's me. That's me. Jesus said that. So we see on abundant life, death coming in. We see the only way that death comes in is riding through life. See, we're not trying to conquer to have the victory. We already had the victory. And the death that's being talked about, that's being brought throughout our earth, is actually brought by our Lord to kill off the remnant and any vestiges of carnality left, whether it's discouragement or pride or anger or, 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 or jealousy or lust or whatever is left, death is coming to cancel that out on life. 
This is good, right? Is this all right? Are you guys all right with this? And Hades followed him. Hades is a reference to the grave. It's also sometimes in the Bible a reference to a lower world, an earthly realm. That's why we always see an ascended point when we communicate with God. Come on up here. We see a lot of the things, the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses, all the things that we see in the Bible always bring us to an ascended truth, a higher truth. Earthly things are a realm oftentimes references Hades and the grave. So if you look at translations, you're going to find both of those real common. Authority was given them over the fourth of the earth to kill with, with the sword and with famine, pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So what we get here is a story of Christ revealed in us. We get a story from the beginning of the seven letters to the church. Who is the church? We are. This is written to you and me. And we see in these seven letters how powerful they are. They're the only seven letters that I know of that are directly written by Jesus Christ. And that's what it says. This is the revealing of Christ. And he writes these letters and then he relays in the spirit the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. And we see this play out of the revealing of the fullness of the manifest glory of Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me that lives. And I live in the flesh by faith. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? You see, when, when cancer came around, he just stepped over it. When the water got in the way, he just walked on it. When taxes needed to be paid, he just had a fish swim up there. You see, everything was in his dominion because the kingdom was manifest by the glory of God in him. Now, if you believe Jesus Christ has risen and is a glorified king, that he is right now sitting to the right of the Father, right now, then you believe that that can happen because he said, I'm only first fruit. And the whole deal is to bring many to glory. This isn't about me just being the only one doing this. He said, greater things you're going to do but we have to inherit. So we see, we enter, we inherit. And we no longer honor death. We honor life. We pursue and chase life. And in life and life abundance, we ride death. We can pick it up or lay it down. It makes no difference. Can you believe? Is that all right? You guys all right with that? I can so listen, you guys. This is good. This is good stuff. It, this is so much better than a Powerball. This is so much better than, listen, and, and I want to be fair to you. He would never keep us in this state like this for eternity. That, that's punishment. Toward, you don't want to live in this right here for eternity. Wow, that would be cruel. This is going to be so beautiful. The transformation... And what's going to happen with the revealed Christ and the manifest glory in all of us and in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet? It's interesting when you go to Corinthians and you read what Paul says about the last trumpet. We see the trumpet. And what happens at the last trumpet in Revelation? And we know what the trumpet is, right? 
Because Paul said, I heard God, and it sounded like a trumpet. And then we see he turns. The sound of God's voice is that of a trumpet. So every time you hear about a trumpet, it's the word, the spirit, and the call of God. And if we stay focused and tuned into that, we are walking repentance always. We don't have to worry about a crack house. We don't have to worry about problems because we are repented. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent for the kingdom. When we are tuned in to his voice and seeing our father, we don't have to worry about that. All right. This is good, you guys. Listen, this is so good. And I just, I just want to tell you I love you guys, man. This is, um, this, is, this is something worth all of us clearing some of our slate and selling a few things to dive into. It is that good. And I don't know how you just parachute in once a month or once a year. I don't know how people do that. I can't, you know, I'm I, nothing against them. Come on, I hope you tithe big too. Come on in. But I don't know how you get this revealed and taste the goodness of God knowing you are his favorite. He purchased you. You are his, you are his promise and his promised land. And he's a jealous God. He wants all of you thoroughly and completely, top to bottom. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, and we, we just bless your holy name, Jesus. We ask that you would teach us, Lord, open our eyes and ears to see and hear that we could be taught of you, that that spirit of wisdom and revelation would fill us, that we would all journey together, that we'd begin to see things, Lord. We'd begin to see that we can enter, that we can inherit. Bless your children here tonight. Bless our families. I speak health, love, life, and prosperity over everyone here and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.